Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio. We are so glad that you are here with us today. First of all, before I, I get into everything, I want to say how great it is to be back. As you all know, Morgan and I were out last week. Our son, Bo, and, and Morgan and I all had, all had COVID. We got through it quickly. Um, you know, I, I was glad to see that it goes through especially an 18-year-old body very quickly. It, he just took care of it without any problems. And we were, we were blessed by your prayers, by your, by your attention, and we thank you so much for all of that. But we are glad that that is, that is now behind us. And we, wanna, we, were just, we just want to thank everybody for your support. We want to continue to ask you to be careful to take care of yourselves. And we want to thank everybody who's joining us online today because we, we really are glad that we can still connect even though we are having to do it from a distance. So it is good to see everybody here this morning. Thank you for being here and thank you for your prayers. Today has been already an exciting day here at First Presbyterian Church because this morning in our nine o'clock service, we installed the Reverend Dr. Joe Moore as our assistant pastor for senior, senior adult ministries. So one of the things that's happened is ever since we announced that we were making this uh, promotion for Joe and, and we were going to be installing him as our pastor, People have just organically, naturally, whenever his name is mentioned or whenever he walks into a room, has just, have just given him a standing ovation. So would you do that? Because he really likes that. He... <laughs> the look on his face is worth it every time I do that. But it is, no, we all, we all know Joe. I hope you have gotten to know him if you haven't. Uh, he is one of those people who, uh, who just shares the grace that he has received so generously. And we are always glad to, to recognize the gifts that God has given in one of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And it is such a joy to have Joe on our staff. I'll be saying a little bit more about that in just a few minutes. But I just wanted to make sure that we, that we celebrated him and celebrated uh, his family today. He's, uh, he was here with his whole family at the uh, early service, and, and it was just a joyous occasion. So get to know Joe if you do not already know him. Well, today we are continuing our study of the book of Hebrews. But because today is a special day of celebration, we are also going to connect some of the things that we will learn in this passage to the ministry that we share together and particularly the ministry that Joe is bringing into our church. And so if you will turn to the book of Hebrews to the second chapter beginning in the first verse. We started a couple of weeks ago talking about Hebrews and talking about the, the fact that Hebrews presents the idea that Jesus is superior to the prophets, to the angels, that his word stands above these because he is the son of God. And as we turn into chapter two today, we will, begin, we will begin to see him build out his argument for everything that will come later. And so if you would, please turn to chapter two. You can look in your bulletin, in your pew Bible, on the screens behind me, or just listen as I read aloud. Hebrews chapter two, beginning in verse one. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? 
It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. The unnamed author of Hebrews begins this second chapter of his book with a warning. He says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Lest we drift away. This passage is a warning. Do not drift away from salvation. Now, what is it that the author doesn't want them to lose? He doesn't want them to lose their salvation. But what's he talking about? You know, salvation is one of those religious churchy words that we often hear, that we often say, but that we don't always understand in its depth and complexity. Many people hear the word salvation and they think about being saved from, from hell, from the torments of eternal fire and brimstone. Others think of being saved from spiritual nothingness or annihilation. Others think of salvation as a state of heavenly bliss or eternal happiness, while others think of it in earthly terms, in terms of reforms of justice or utopian social harmony. Others simply think of it as relief from pain, from suffering and abuse, while others just imagine living forever somehow, somewhere, and a better life and a better world with the people they love most. And then there is probably the largest group, the group of people who don't know how to define salvation. They have no idea how to define salvation. They just know they need it and they are restless till they find it. And so I'm not going to go back and attack or dispel any of those visions of salvation. But I do want us to think about it in these terms. Whatever salvation ultimately looks like, it will be the greatest gift that the infinite God with infinite power gives to the people that he infinitely loves. Again, let me say that again. Salvation, whatever it is, will be the greatest gift that the infinite God with infinite power gives to the people that he infinitely loves. So what is salvation? Well, this morning I'm going to give a brief definition of this, but this is a theme that we're going to develop over our study of Hebrews in the next few weeks. But when the book of Hebrews uses the word salvation, it's talking about really two things that work together. In the book of Hebrews, salvation is anchored first in a, rest, a restoration and redemption of our broken relationship with God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So salvation is redemption of relationship. And second, 
Salvation means eternal rest in God's promises, in his plans, and in his purpose. The word rest is the one that Hebrews uses all over the place. Salvation and rest go together. Now over the next couple of, after the next few chapters of Hebrews, we're going to be fleshing out both that relationship and that rest and what that means within the system of Hebrews. What salvation means within this context. But I want us to catch this. The point of the verses that we've read today is this. That we may not know how to exactly define salvation yet, but whatever it is, we don't want to lose it. We do not want to miss out on the relationship that we have to our Heavenly Father through Jesus Christ. And we don't want to miss out on the promises and the plans and the purposes that God has for his children. Now, look again at verses 2 and 3. The author of Hebrews writes this. He says, For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Here's what the author of Hebrews is telling us. Because Jesus Christ lived the life that we could never live and died the death we deserved to die, because of that, he has restored our relationship with the Father so that we can rest in the confidence of his power and love. If we take the salvation of Jesus Christ seriously, we get that restored relationship with God and can rest in his promises. But if we don't take our sin and we don't take God's salvation seriously, then we will receive what the angels declared and the author describes as retribution. In other words, instead of getting what we deserve, excuse me, because of his grace, instead of getting what we deserve, we get what Christ deserves. By the grace of God, instead of getting what we deserve, we get what Christ deserves. And the author of Hebrews is warning us that if we drift away from what Christ has done for us, if we neglect his love for us and we reject his sacrifice for us and for our sins, then instead of getting what he deserves, we get what we deserve. I don't know about you, but I would much rather get what Christ deserves than what I deserve. I'd much rather get what he deserves than get what I deserve for my own selfishness, for my own greed, for my own pride, for my own rebellion, for my own indifference. Because what verses 2 and 3 is saying is that if we drift away from his salvation, we'll have to answer for every mean or selfish thing that we've ever done, said, or thought. Hell on earth and hell forever. Verse 2 is warning us. Saying in verse 2 that if we drift away from his truth and neglect his salvation, then we aren't going to be held in that salvation. And in this passage, the author of Hebrews brings out a very human truth. He says that we don't just drift away from God because of our outright defiance. We drift away from God 
because of neglect. Look at verse 3. The image here is not of someone who breaks out of a cage or busts out of a prison or who breaks his chains to escape. It's more like a boat. It's tied up to a dock, but it's tied loosely with a weak rope or a careless knot that simply floats out to sea because nobody cared enough to secure it. Salvation is usually not lost because of outright conscious rebellion. It usually dies through neglect. It's not murdered, it starves to death. What happens is that we drift away because we, we just don't take salvation seriously. And the author of Hebrews is saying that when it comes to salvation, neglect is just as deadly as rejection. Drift, neglect, rejection. Taking God for granted is just as dangerous as defying him. Distraction is destruction. And more people wander away than run away because they don't take the Lord seriously. It doesn't usually happen because we get too hot or because we get angry at God but because we get too cool, we just become lukewarm. Neglect is rejection. It's true in a lot of areas, not just in faith. If you neglect your marriage, you neglect your children, your relationship will suffer, just as if there was abuse. If you neglect your health, your body will deteriorate. You know, I remember thinking several times over the last few years that if I thought I was going to live this long, I would have taken a lot better care of myself. But if you don't take care of yourself, you will deteriorate. If you neglect your salvation, then guess what? You're on your own for eternal life. You're on your own for the forgiveness of sins. For now and for eternity, drifting through life under your own power, and then into the void, dead or worse. You really want it all to be up to you. You know, if we've learned anything this year, we've learned that peace requires close attention. If we neglect it or neglect the people around us, peace will drift away. It's a principle called entropy, that things go from, from cohesive to dispersed. That things fall apart. I mean, here we are preparing to celebrate Martin Luther King Day tomorrow, and we're reminded of the deep divisions and hatred that still exists in our communities. Yesterday, a terrorist took four hostages in a synagogue, out, uh, took four people hostage in a synagogue outside of Dallas for 11 hours. And yes, the hostages survived, but that event is going to scar and leave a wound in that community for a long, long time. Sadly, over the last two years, we've seen that we can't take peace and community for granted. Just because slavery ended with the Civil War doesn't mean that we can take race relations or, or freedom for granted. Just because civil rights legislation was passed, we can't take racial harmony for granted. Citizenship and politics require close attention. Poverty requires close attention. Community requires close attention. Mental health requires close attention. We have to pay closer attention to our neighborhood and our neighbors. 
Public morality, personal morality requires close attention. And we sadly have neglected so many opportunities to sow peace, to nurture peace. Not because we don't like peace, but because we kind of like other things more. We just don't care. The kingdom of God requires close attention. We pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not going to come without close attention. So this is what's at stake to the author of Hebrews. Not just for the Hebrews, but for us. But that's not what your heavenly father wants for you. And it doesn't have to be that way for us. And that's why he sent his son, who is greater than prophets, greater than angels, to restore our broken relationship with him and to lead us into the plans and purposes and promises God has for us and for those he loves and for the world. To restore our relationship with him and with our neighbors and with our brothers and sisters. And so the author of Hebrews says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Lest we drift away. I love this. The opposite of drifting away is paying close attention. Paying close attention to what? Well, we have hints of it just in this very brief passage. But I want to take a moment and just pivot to my good friend, my brother, my colleague, Joe Moore, and, and take just a moment to just kind of give us a visual for some of the things that, that the author of Hebrews is saying and, and to which we must pay closer attention. Joe Moore has dedicated his life to making sure that people paid closer attention to their salvation in Jesus Christ. You know, usually on an ordination or installation Sunday, the pastor will offer a sermon that presents some kind of challenge or charge to the person being installed, but today I feel compelled to, to just tell you all what I've observed in Joe and why I think it's worthy of our attention, why we should pay attention to what he has taught us and what he has taught me. So this is really not about what Joe needs to do, but really a way to say, Joe, keep on what you're doing and let us watch. Let us follow in that. First of all, Joe and I, I have to say, arrived at First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio at about the same time, about five years ago. He got here a few months before I did. But it was interesting that of all the members of the staff, it was the two non-Texans who became known for wearing boots every day at the church. You can always tell the non-Texans in the room because they're the ones who actually look like they're trying to look like Texans and cowboys and stuff like that. We're the ones who think that's what you have to do to fit in. But there are lots of things that I learned from Joe Moore, and I have learned and continue to learn from him over the last few, th over the last few years. But overall, it's the idea that we need to pay close attention. First, we need to pay close attention to the message that we have heard. Not just from angels, not just from prophets, but from Jesus Christ himself. We, we need to pay closer attention to what we have heard. 
Joe Moore is a man who takes the word of God seriously. The Apostle Paul wrote to his protege Timothy, Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. In other words, pay close attention to your life and doctrine. Joe is one of the most deliberate Christians that I know. It's interesting that one of the most challenging aspects of this journey for Joe has been to grow in and learn what it means to be a Presbyterian. He became a Presbyterian pastor today. He's been a pastor for a long time, but he became a Presbyterian one today. And that means that over the course of the last few years, he's had to learn liturgies and doctrine and polity and all these things that were, that were new and alien to him. But Joe submitted himself humbly to learn the ways, the weird ways that sometimes we Presbyterians do things. But even though there were a lot of new things he had to learn, there was a lot that he already knew because he's paid close attention to the word of God. And there has never been any doubt about his faith or his commitment to the good news of God in Jesus Christ. And one thing I want to say about Joe is that his beliefs have always been so warmly and sincerely and authentically illustrated in the way he lives his life that you can tell that he has received the grace of God because he can share it. So abundantly, so enthusiastically, so generously. You know, one of the things I love is that whenever Joe leads us in prayer, and whenever that prayer is followed by the Lord's Prayer, he always makes the transition from the prayers of the people to the Lord's Prayer by saying this, Lord, teach us to live as Jesus lived, to love as Jesus loved, and to pray as Jesus prayed. That is a lesson, that is a prayer that Joe has prayed from the heart, and we have all seen it in him. That love, that life, that prayer of Jesus. So Joe has always paid close attention to the truth, to the good news that he has heard. Second, we are told to pay close attention to our relationships, especially our relationship with Jesus Christ. Pay closer attention to relationship. Joe has always paid close attention to his relationships. First his relationship with God and then his relationship with others. You know, I see in Joe a sweet, passionate relationship with his heavenly father. And this is a relationship that radiates all around him. There is no drifting away here because he pays close attention to all of his relationships, especially his relationship with God. But also, he pays attention with the relationships of, he has with the people around him. I mean, from youth ministry to senior adult ministry, Joe's ministry has always been anchored in relationships. And this is why Joe Moore can do any job. I mean, I'll tell you, for the last five years, there have been some odd jobs that needed doing. And very often, the conversation would bounce around the table, and we said, well, I bet we could get Joe to do it. And Joe ends up getting this sort of hodgepodge miscellaneous of jobs, but he always succeeds. You know why? Because the first thing Joe does when he gets a new job is he finds out who's involved and be begins to build a relationship with those people. For Joe, it's always first who, then what. 
The idea is that if you actually get to know the people, the skill set will follow. It's the heart that matters. And so Joe has always anchored his entire ministry in the who, in the relationship. And that's why he is so beloved from middle schoolers to senior adults. I mean, to have a group of middle schoolers chanting, we love Joe, we love Joe, is awesome. But it's because he attends to those relationships. He cares about people in grief, he cares about people in divorce, he cares with those, about those struggling in marriages, or he cares about anyone who just needs someone to walk alongside with them in a difficult time of their lives. So Joe is not going to let things drift away because he pays attention to relationships. And then finally, as the author of Hebrew leads us to pay close attention to our relationships, he also leads us to pay close attention to the signs and the wonders, the various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that God has given to us according to his will. I love this passage in Hebrews because as we think about it in the context of ministry, God has given us each gifts for the health of the body of Christ, for the work of his kingdom. And so it's important that we pay close attention to those signs, those miracles, those wonders, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that he has given to each of us. And Joe has been given wonderful gifts for ministry, just like many of you all have. But one thing I said to him earlier this morning, I said, Joe, I want you to delight in the gifts that you do have and not get hung up on the gifts that you don't feel that you have or that you don't feel strongly about. I've heard him say before that he is not a good theologian or that he's not a theologian. But you know what? I disagree because I think Joe Moore is one of the best incarnational theologians I've ever met. If the incarnation was that moment in history when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, then incarnational theology is that practice of making our everyday lives an expression of God's love and God's truth. And in that case, Joe is an excellent example of the characteristics of salvation and incarnational theology. He is someone who demonstrates both the restoration that Jesus provides and the peace at the peace in which we may abide by resting in him. He's a good listener. He's got a great sense of humor. He is attentive. He's got skills in counseling, wisdom, energy. And he is even willing to be dressed up like an angel at least once a year. But he also has humility. One of the things that I know he always keeps in the front of his mind is that it is Jesus Christ who must increase and we must decrease. The whole theme of the beginning of Hebrews is that Jesus is superior to the prophets. Jesus is superior to the angels. The word angel means messenger and it's a reminder that Jesus is superior not only to his divine messengers but to his human messengers as well. And I've seen time and time again when Joe has made sure that people paid more attention to Jesus Christ than they did to him. And so thinking about all of those qualities, thinking about all of that, the point is not to exalt Joe, but to hear in the word of Hebrews and to take examples so that we can be edified by them.
Because at the end of Hebrews, the author says this in 13.7, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. A life that pays closer attention to the word of God. A life that pays closer attention to relationships with Jesus Christ and with those around us. A life that pays close attention to the miracles, to the gifts, to the treasures, the blessings that God has given us. That is a life worthy of imitation. And it is a life that will not drift away. Let us pray. Oh Lord, today as we come together in your house, we thank you that we can celebrate with Joe and with the entire Moore family that he has given his life to making sure that the children of God paid close attention to their salvation in Jesus Christ. He has not done that from on high, from a pedestal, but he has done that through relationship, through gentleness, through a walk beside a friend, and a meal with a brother. And we thank you, O Lord, that each day you empower him to show, to show your love and your grace more abundantly. Now, Lord, as we, as we consider this, these words of your truth and as we think about the examples of those that we have seen, we ask you, Lord, to give us eyes to see, ears to hear, feet to follow, and a desire to pay more that to pay more attention to, to pay closer attention to the salvation, the relationship, and the peace that you offer in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior. Amen.